Hi and welcome to our latest One Church podcast. Our vision is to encourage, equip and empower you to discover a life-changing relationship with God. We hope this message will inspire you to discover your full potential. Thanks for listening. Teacher, he declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is for the kingdom to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up, we've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields along with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Now we'll come back to that in a wee second. But first off, Let's just go totally left field. Let's do some amateur horticulture this morning. Who's up for some gardening this morning, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could have predicted that. My daughter is a big gardener. I'm not, not at all. But um, Jamie in particular has, has kind of got into this in the last couple of years. And so I've, I've learned a couple of things. I've got a couple of friends that are quite into gardening. What we're going to do, you're going to help me with my gardening because I've got a couple of trees in my back garden and I want you to show you some pictures of them. And you're going to help me assess them. Right, so Daniel, can we have the first tree up here, please? Now, these are two apple trees that I have in my back garden. That's the first one, right? And that's, that's the newest apple tree. That's not that old. No, no, keep it on the first one just now, Daniel. Yeah, uh-huh. That's the one. That's not that old. It's fairly new. It's all a couple of years old. And it looks the business. I'm, I'm so impressed with it. I remember when I bought it, I thought, that looks lovely. And then I put it in my garden. You see how straight it is? See how tall it is? You know, it's, it's young, but it, it's, it grew very quickly. They didn't buy it that size a couple of years, and already it's grown. Um, so that's, that's tree one. This is tree two. That's tree two. That's the other side of the garden. They're kind of opposite each other. This thing I've had for ages. You can see how it's kind of all kind of bent and kind of squinty. It's got a big pole in it because this thing wants to fall over. This tree has tried to fall over so many times. I have wrestled with it to try and get it to go... <coughs> excuse me, to grow straight and it just doesn't. It just wants to bend over and nearly, it's nearly fell over a few times and, and it's older than the other one. It's, you know, got some um, years in it but it's, it's not that tall and you can see how the branches kind of bend, right? Okay, so horticultural assessment time, okay. Which of those two trees did I get the most apples off this year? Go back to the first one. So who, who thinks I got um, a lot of apples off that one this year? Everybody's, everybody's seen, see, sees what's coming here, okay? And, okay, show me the second one again, Daniel. Who thinks I got more apples off that one this year? Absolutely, because everybody knows. Here, here's one here. I actually just, I just picked this one off the tree this morning. 
Um, and I was, I was going to take a bite out of it, but actually we had some apples off it previously, and they're actually pretty sour. <laughs> but we've got tons. We've got lots of them. We got lots of that tree produced about 20 odd apples at least. The kids had a, a kind of early harvest off, off it. They went and picked tons and they actually missed a few. So the ones that are on it right now are the ones that they missed and there's still seven or eight on it. The other one, again, go back to the, the young one, the, the good looking tree. Two apples off that thing this year. Two of them. Two of them. The, the, the sermon kind of writes itself here, doesn't it? When you're thinking about those trees. Because you can't always judge everything by how it looks. That's a, a, a phrase that's old as the hills. Everybody knows, we've been, people have been telling us for centuries that you can't judge a book by its cover. This is something we all know. But I would suggest that in the modern age, the subject of image, of how something looks, is, is something that's accelerated. It's really more intense. You know, the ability to both create and craft an image and to judge that same image has intensified. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, and, you know, it wasn't like we didn't know about image, you know, we didn't know about the, the perception of people, but it was often just limited to really, really famous people. You know, when I was a kid, it was movie stars and sports stars were the people who had an image. Now, anyone, just about anyone, can get in on the global image game. If you've got a phone and internet connection, you can create a brand or an image, you can broadcast that to the world or at the very least to your, your social circle. Remember that we now live in a world where postmen from Airdrie can become international pop sensations singing 200-year-old songs just because he can craft an image. And you only have to look at Instagram and Facebook and all that sort of stuff. You can see how um, people get very careful and obsessive about crafting an image. It's not even just individuals. You know, a, a big brand, a business, it takes a lot of care and um, effort into making sure that they project a good image. Big businesses are obsessed with it. Um, and again, other strands of social media, if you're on YouTube, if you're on TikTok, if you're a streamer, creating a brand that people recognise and like is the game. And it's not necessarily evil, please hear me, it's not something that you can even perhaps avoid. If you take it right down to the, you know, the kind of personal level, even on a very, very small scale, if you interact with another person at all, you're creating an image to some extent. You're leaving an impression, is probably what you would say when it's on a personal level. You, know, you, you see how people react to you and you subtly alter how you react to them so that you can create a good impression. It's part of being a human being. And in fact, do you know what? Even us at One Church, we, we, we try to create an image, try to use an image for good. You know, we want to um, give the image to you guys that this is a safe and warm and welcoming and good place to be because we think our God is safe and warm and welcoming. We want our image to project that. So our social media, we try hard to make that look good. We try hard to make our building warm and inviting and nice place to be. So, you know, you can use an image for good, but there can be problems with image. And I want to talk about one of them. It's not the only one, but there's one I particularly want to talk about. And it's the fact that sometimes image can be a problem if it does not match the reality of who you are or who the thing that images of is. That can be a big problem. It can be destructive if it's clear that the way you present yourself and who you really are are different. You know, I was, I was Googling about this. It's the sort of thing that I kind of piqued my interest. I wanted to see, you know, what um, the world at large says about image. If you um, talk about brands, you know, when we're talking about a business, you know, there's, there's lots of stuff out there about how to create a brand and how to maintain it. And what sinks a brand is um, when the brand is thought to be inauthentic. 
Do you know what I mean when I say inauthentic? In other words, this is what the company is saying about this thing, but here's what it really is, you know? Or I came across a phrase, and this is proper marketing speak, but it's, it's good though. Um, they talk about breaking your brand promise. You know, if you promise that this, this product or this company does this, and then it doesn't, then people will not buy your, um, your brand. If we project one thing and do another, we see this all the time. We see this not just in the business world. We see this like, you know, when you say you find out your, your favourite actor actually, and the stories come out that they're not very nice to people and they're, they're horrible to work with. Or, well, we've already talked about the companies who do something stupid with their brand. Or a politician who goes on about morals and standards and then suddenly we find out that they're, you know, dodging tax and fiddling their expenses. Or, or just on a personal level, you know, there's someone that you know that, that you thought was your friend and then they do something really nasty to you. Or, or if we want to be really honest here, really honest, sometimes even the Church of Jesus Christ fails to live up to the standards that God has set. That can happen. Happens too often. Image can be a problem, especially when our image and who we are don't really match. And we see it all the time, this issue of, of lack of integrity. I think one of the things, social media is great for so many things, you know, it allows us to keep up with people, allows us to communicate, allows us, like I said, to, to advertise. But um, one of the things that's a bit of a double-edged sword with um, social media for some folks is if you put everything online, if everything's on there, then it's easy for your image to be punctured. Because if, some, if everyone sees everything that you do, and sometimes that's something that's not inconsistent with the way that they perceive you. Of course, this is the world. What does God think about all this and that? And you obviously know that that's where I'm going to take this. How should we, as followers of Jesus, think about this? Well, one of the key scriptures that we can start off with to think about all of this is found in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. And it says this, The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. He does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And we've talked about this thing of image as if it was some sort of modern phenomenon. It's not, you know. The guys in the Bible, they had to deal with image. They made these assumptions about people and the way they presented themselves. And God had to bring them back and say, no, look, look beyond that. Look at the heart. This story, this scripture comes from a story of the prophet Samuel, who's going on God's command to anoint the new king. The new king of Israel, God said, right, okay, I'm fed up with the one we've currently got. We're going to get a new one. And he's going to be in this particular place in Bethlehem. And he's going to be in this particular family, the family of Jesse. So Samuel, you go there and you sort out, anoint the new king. So Samuel goes and he has Jesse, the, the guy there, bring out, all his, um, bring out all his sons. And he looks at them all and he sees them all. And um, one in particular, um, Samuel's quite taken with. It's a guy called Eliab. And he says, when they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. And here's our scripture. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. The new king was actually going to be a guy called David who wasn't even in the kind of lineup that um, Jesse had produced. He was out in the fields looking after the sheep and he was the, the least impressive, the youngest and most insignificant, but his heart was good and God saw that. So we need to realise when we talk about image that whatever your image is on the outside, bad or good, God's not concerned with that. It's kind of like he has x-ray vision. You know, he's looking deep, deep in 
beyond all the stuff on the outside. He sees who you really are. However deep down you think that's buried, God sees who you really are. And that, of course, then begs the question, and we're 15 minutes in, and here's, um, here's my title. Who are you really? Who are you really? Who are you really? And that can be an awkward question. Because sometimes it's difficult to disentangle that from our image, from who we, um, who we are deep down. And this is where we get to our story that we read right at the start. Maybe you wondered if I'd forgotten about that, but we've not. Remember that story we read right at the start about a man encountering Jesus who wanted to follow Jesus. A man who, if you look at him, I think, projected all the right things. His image was good. He had a good image. He looked the part. I mean, right from the start, the first thing that happens in this story is this guy comes down in front of Jesus and he falls down on his knee in front of Jesus. Now, I, well, I'm not around at the first century. I don't know if that was a common thing to do. It might have been. But it's certainly dramatic, isn't it? If the first thing that happens to you when you meet someone is that they fall down on their knees in front of you, that's a big deal. He's obviously trying to impress Jesus. I, that's my interpretation. He's trying to make Jesus think, look, this, this guy's really impressed with me. And he calls him good teacher. Jesus actually picks him up. Why are you calling me good teacher? But that's the first thing he says. You know, he's, he's trying to get into Jesus' good books. And to be honest, it's easy, I think, reading this story to make this guy the villain because we know in the end that he doesn't end up following Jesus. But, you know, he's trying hard to impress him. And who of us have not tried hard to impress someone or tried hard to impress God? Oh, my, my urge to impress people is bigger than I would like it to be. My urge to impress people in the church is bigger than I would like it to be. I get embarrassed sometimes by how I want to be perceived as holy and good because I want to impress people. I don't want to be too hard on this guy when I've got those flaws. And then what happens next is he asks Jesus a question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Asking Jesus' opinion in a very important matter. And Jesus challenges him in response. He says, well, what about the commandments? Are you doing all that stuff? Are you living according to God's plan? And the man says, yes, I am. All these things I have kept since I was a boy, which is no mean feat. That's a big deal to do all that stuff. He's, he's got a great image, this guy. He's, he's the business. But here's the moment I really want to focus on. After all that chat, after all that exchange, we have this verse. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he says, one thing you lack Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Now, I don't know quite what's going on here, but it's almost like Jesus is activating that extra vision that we talked about. This is someone he's never met before, you know? Um, but Jesus is asking this question right here in this moment. Who is this guy really? Who, who are you really? And I don't know if there's a supernatural element here. You know, Jesus moved in the supernatural. Maybe the Holy Spirit is whispering in his ear and saying to Jesus, this guy, the problem is his cash. The problem is he's too um, holding on to the things he owns. Or maybe Jesus is just looking at him. Maybe he's well-dressed. Maybe he's got the first century equivalent of a Rolex on his wrist. Maybe that's what he's like. But Jesus looks at this guy and in that moment, he sees right down into his heart, through all the image and sees two things. Two things outside the image that this guy's created for himself. Two deep inside things. And I want to spend the rest of our time together talking about these two things because I think they're important to us. Firstly, 
Jesus looks into the heart of this young man, sees who he really is, and the first reaction is this. The Bible says this. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. When Jesus sees who he really is, when Jesus penetrates the image on the outside, what is his first reaction? It's one of love. Who are you really? Well, firstly, you, all of you and me, you're someone to love. You're someone to love. I said this earlier, it's easy to make this young guy the villain. You know, we read that Jesus talks to um, his disciples after all this has transpired, the guy's gone away. And because the guy, he blows it really. He, he, Jesus says, here's what you need to do. And he's not willing to do it. He would rather have his cash than a life with God. But, you know, Jesus talks to his disciples and it, and it would be easy for us to judge him because, you know, obviously he, he didn't kind of come through. But this guy, he, he's us, he's me. You know, we want to impress God and each other. So we put up an image. And I think that's what he was doing with this guy. And I think why we do that, why we put up an image to try and impress people is because for many of us, we think that deep down, if someone saw what we are like inside, then people will reject us. People wouldn't like us. God wouldn't like us. If you knew the real me, if you saw what I was really like, if you knew the things that I've said and done and thought, if you knew that I'm not quite as good as you think I am, then you would want to have nothing to do with me. And we think that about people and we sometimes think that about God. But here is the thing revealed in this moment in this story. God looks at us right down in our hearts, right with his x-ray vision and sees us true. He sees all the rubbish he sees all the sin. He sees all the messed up, broken, barely functional nonsense that's inside us. And he loves us. And he loves us. Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Who are you really? Deep down inside, God says of you, no matter who you are, you are a person to be loved. You're a person who God loves with all his heart. So much so that he sent his son to die for you. That's how much he loves you are loved by the Almighty. And if we realise that fact, it will change us. But there's a second thing that Jesus sees with his x-ray vision. And it comes out in his words. He says, as a follow-up, one thing you lack, go and sell everything. And we've read this before. Go and sell everything and give it to the poor. One thing you lack. You're a person to love, but you are also, secondly, a person to change. He looks into the heart of this young man and he sees someone to love and he sees someone who needs to change. And again, it would be easy to misunderstand this, to get the wrong end of the stick and to make it seem like, well, Jesus seemed to love this guy, but then he kind of puts the boot in and says, no, we need to do this. You know, I'm not accepting you the way you are. I think rather than being opposed to his love, this reaction is just a part of it. Because you see, God loves us so much He's not prepared to leave us the way, way we are. He loves us so much, he's not prepared to leave us the way that we are. He looks at us in our mess and our sin and says, I love you so much that I will help you change. I love you too much to let you keep that thing in your life that's ruining you. I'm not going to let you keep it if you come to me because that's how much I love you. I love you enough to do the things that need to be done. I love my kids too much to let them do whatever they want. They might want to live on chocolate and play computer games 24-7. I love them too much to let them do that. God loves us too much to give us what we want all the time. God loves us too much not to ask us to change. Because he has infinite wisdom. He does actually know best. 
Again, I put limits on my kids because I think I know better than them. My kids are here this morning. You can talk to them, see if they agree that I know better than them. They might not, but I think I do. If you transfer that to our um, heavenly father, he actually does. He actually does know better than us. And when he looks at us, he's infinitely wise. You know, you read some of the things that God says in the Bible, sometimes he comes across as arrogant. He can't be arrogant. He's God. Who's, who's going to gainsay him? He's going to say better than him. Who knows better than him? No one. He actually does know better and he wants control of our lives and he will ask us to change. He'll never let you keep that thing. If you let him to go, go to work, he will change you and he will change the things that you think are sometimes too hard. All the badness that we love too much, he will ask us to drop. And for the guy in the passage, it was money. And it would not be true to the passage not to mention that. Jesus, actually, it's kind of the main focus. After this guy's gone away, Jesus uses a teaching opportunity about money. And I only want to mention this in passing. Money isn't in itself evil. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But it can be very, very distracting. Remember we mentioned distractions earlier. And very powerful. It's very seductive. And we can all fall prey to distractions, you know. That person that we love, that new show on Netflix, that football team, that house, that computer game, that feeling that this thing gives me. Easy to fall in love with these things. But God looks inside and he sees all that stuff in there and says, I need space for me in there. So that has to go. I need you free of distractions. Not that I'm saying that God wants you to get rid of all the good, fun things in your life. But you know and I know there are things that are sometimes in our lives and they should be that small and they're that big. Yeah? They're threatening to take all of it. God is going to reorder your life. Or maybe that's not your situation. Maybe when you look at what, who you really are, you see all the broken stuff inside and you think, I can't change. And to you, I would say, well, look at what Jesus says to his disciples, because they say, you know, who, who then can be saved? Who, who's going to manage to do this that you're asking people to do? And he says, well, with God, all things are possible. All that mess, all that stuff, whatever it is, he can change that. Even for you, no matter how far gone you think you are. Now, we've not taken long, but where we are kind of coming to the end and maybe the band want to come up because we're going to finish soon with some music. But let's, let's just ask this question one more time. Who are you really? I mean, do we even know? Are, are, are we all caught up in the image on the outside? Who are we really? Are you living in a world where you're like the guy in that story where you're trying so hard to impress someone, whoever that is, if it's God, if it's the people around you, because you're scared that down inside there's something unlovable. Or, or, or maybe it's not even that. Maybe there's an image that you've got and actually the problem is that this is an image that other people are putting on you. This is not something you've created. This is not something you're carefully crafting. But this is what other people think of you just because of who you are. And maybe other people are saying to you that you're worthless or unimpressive or broken or sinful or beyond hope. Maybe that's the image that you're fighting with. But who are you really? Your father, mother, son, daughter, worker, loser, saint, winner, hero, coward, sinner. Who are you really? Because when you ask that question, do you know where the best place to get the answer is? Because we th 
threatening to answer it herself, the best place to get an answer is not from your own head, not from your own heart, but from the one who made you. In Psalm 139, it says this, Lord, you searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. God knows us best. So the best place to get an answer for the question, who am I really? That question that we all ask is from him. And when we ask God that question, Lord, who am I really? Tell me, what does he say? You're someone that I love. You're someone that I love. You cannot even begin to understand how much I love you. That's who you are really. And who are you really? You're someone that I can change. You're someone who I can make better than you ever thought possible. That's who you are really. God looks inside you and he sees someone that he loves. God looks inside you and he sees someone to change. God looks inside you and he is not ashamed of you. God looks on your heart and he loves you. And the only question for us now is, how do I respond? Do you trust the God that says he loves you enough to change you? Or like the man in the story, would you rather keep what you've got and walk away? And for everyone, that's the question. If you've never um, given your life to God before, then that's the question for you. Do you want to take the plunge and do that? And if you do do that, we're going to pray in a wee minute, then come and speak to me after. I want to share that moment with you. But for a lot of us who've been walking with Jesus for a while, there's still moments where we need to recommit to say, Lord, okay, what's the next bit of the path here? What's the next bit of the road here? I'm up for it. I'm up for it because I know you love me. I know you want to change me. Who are we really? We are people loved by God beyond measure and we are people with the opportunity to change and become better and more perfect than we ever dreamed possible. Let's take a moment to pray and then the band will take us out and close. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your love that you see us who we actually are in truth and all the mess and confusion and you love us and I thank you for that, Lord Jesus. I thank you for that. I thank you that you loved us so much that you died for us, Lord. And I pray that we will understand what that means and I pray, Lord, for those that have not yet understood what that means, Lord, that today or very soon they will take the plunge and choose to follow you. And for all of us, Lord, that are walking with you for some time, Lord. Help us to be open to your love and open to your change, Lord, that we may go on to new and exciting things in you. We ask this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen in. We pray this message has been an encouragement wherever it finds you. If you have found it helpful, why not share it with someone or leave a comment? To find out more and stay connected, you can follow us at One Church Scotland through our Facebook, Instagram and YouTube. Take care and have a great week.